Alright, alright. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Stanley Cup Finals time, and as you can see from the title, it's going to be a battle between the upcoming challenger from the West, the Colorado Avalanche, and the team looking to become the first real dynasty in the 21st century, the Tampa Bay Lightning. As you could anticipate, today's episode is reserved for that exact matchup, as we go through all the nooks and crannies involved in the finals, and we will also quickly cover their paths to the last stretch of the postseason. And while we're at it, today's episode is going to end with the remaining reviews for the teams that made their way to the playoffs, but got thrown out within the six weeks, so today's episode is pretty much reserved for the NHL talk, which should surprise no one at this point. I'm planning to do the second part of the mental health topic next time, because like I said, I want to dedicate one whole episode for the topic, or at least most of it. And since I know that we are going to make a deep dive into NHL this week, I feel like it would be best to still let the episode marinate and bring it up once the finals are finally over. They might be over sooner than we think, so that needs to be taken into account as well, and we need to cover that base once we cross it, but I believe that we are in for a lengthy series, so I'm not going to worry about that yet, at least. Quick shout out to Yuri Prohashka though, who took home the light heavyweight belt last weekend by beating the veteran Clover Teixeira in the fifth round by submission. It was great back and forth match, but just like his projection, Prohashka was bound to take home the title and this was the first step on his journey to a dominant reign as the champion of the light heavyweights. The next big event is going to be held in July and I'm already extremely excited to see Izzy back in the octagon, so you better stay tuned for that preview as well. But that's all from that front now, just wanted to throw a quick plug for the Czech Devastator, since if you know me, you know that I've praised this guy since his UFC debut against Volkan Özdemir, and just after three fights in the UFC, he has become the champ, and quite honestly, he really hasn't even started his journey in the UFC, to be completely honest, so I'm eager to see where his ceiling ends up being on this level. Now though, we are going to forget the UFC completely, since we got an action-packed finals episode incoming, so sit back, relax, and get your feet up. I'm gonna get the intro music rolling, so that you know we are getting down to business. So, without further ado, let's get going. And just like that, we've arrived to the last stretch of the NHL season, where the next champion will be crowned in just two short weeks. In the finals, as you know, we have the West's number one seed team, Colorado Avalanche, and the reigning, defending, fifth seed Eastern Conference champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Two very different paths to the finals, so we should take a look at how these teams ended up meeting in the finals. Colorado was the best team in the West and faced the second wildcard team Nashville Predators in the first round, and as anticipated, that series was over before we even noticed that the playoffs were already underway. Nashville was missing their main starter Yusuf Aros, and they just had nothing to give against the stacked Central's powerhouse. Four games was all it took, and the Preds were just an appetizer for the Av squad on their way to the Stanley Cup Finals, to put it into context. They showed their fangs straight out of gates, and it could be seen that this team was on a mission this year, and were not going to stop without real resistance. The top guys, McKinnon, Rantanen, Makar, and Landeskog took the team to their broad shoulders, and the underrated names, Nichuskin, Taves, Kadri, Comfer, and Lehkonen, alongside their goaltender Darcy Kemper, took their chance and ran with it when the opportunity presented itself in this series. The Preds were just overrun and they didn't have the firepower to withstand the onslaught of this highly dangerous team from the Mile High City, especially while they were missing their main crease presence from their blue paint. It was pretty one and done series and most people expected this series to be over in quick fashion, so the result didn't surprise many at least that I know of. They earned their off days, and once the Blues clinched their fourth victory over the Minnesota Wild, they were already prepared for that class against their rivals. 
The Blues were able to keep the Avs run for their money and took the series to six games, but yet again, they got outgunned by the Avs' top two lines. The Notes suffered few major injuries, and especially Bennington's injury was a major setback for the team facing the high-flying offense of the Avs squad in the quarterfinals. And say what you want, but Kadri had the whole city in his chest pocket, and even though I'm not a huge fan of him myself, it has to be said that everything that followed that incident was just humiliating for the Blues fans. And you just have to wonder what goes through your mind as one, for example, sends death threats on social media using racial slurs. Like how fucked in the brain you really have to be. When your own defenseman runs through your goaltender using Kadri as a power driver, it's not a reason for doing so, and if it leads to a guy leaving the rink with security personnel on his side, you gotta ask yourself if this really is worth it. Like, it's a sport, but Ilya said it best. Well, you have to be mad. You wasn't going to say that to his face, so why are you threatening the guy anonymously on the internet? Like, come on, dude. I bet that some of those guys commenting were like 12-year-old fanboys, but if you are any older than that, you gotta find some help. Seriously. There's no place for racism, and the heritage shouldn't be a factor in any case. And of course, you have the right to disagree, but at that point, I would question your core values for starters. But I don't want this podcast to become an ethics diary, so we will now move past that incident. It's just gotta be said that it's horrible to see those kind of events. But as I mentioned in the previous episode... The Avs as well suffered a setback in that same exact game as their defenseman Sam Girard was injured and is now ruled out for the remainder of the playoffs following the hit from Ivan Barbashev. There was nothing wrong with that hit, again, you might disagree, but Girard put himself in a vulnerable spot when playing the puck and he would have had the time to move the puck quicker but decided to hold on to it until he was stapled to the end boards of the Enterprise Center. He's an important part of their decor, but the rest of the guys have stepped up in his absence, and especially Bowen Byram has now been able to showcase his talents, and as an aftermath, the Avs leadership might be taking a look to move Gerard in the offseason if Byram is able to play regular minutes in their top four. And once again, the real ones know how I feel about this guy, so I don't need to pump up my own tires and... If you don't know, go check the season previews to see how highly I rate this guy on the entire league-wide level. It's been great to see him making his comeback after his health concerns and hopefully he's now able to shift to the next year and leave all that to his past while he becomes a bona fide producer on the Avs back end. But getting back to the topic, the Avs were just stronger defensively in this series and were able to create scoring changes way better than the notes which was the question mark before heading into this series. We knew that the Blues were one of the better teams in the league defensively. Meanwhile, they were facing one of the top offenses in the league, and that was pretty much the setup for this matchup. The end result speaks for itself. The Blues won the games when they were able to suppress the Avs' offensive onslaught and create more scoring chances, but when their offense disappeared, the defense wasn't strong enough to win the games they needed and the Avs eventually moved on with better offensive output. The Blues would have loved to have Krug on their back end to bring some additional offense to their blue line, but that wasn't the case and they got bounced in six games. And to put it simply, the Blues didn't get everything out of their engine and the Avs cruised past them in the final straight of the race, and they were headed for the conference finals. And even though the Blues showed some resistance during this series, the Avs still looked convincing and the depth they possess ended up being too much for the Blues to handle in this year's playoffs. But then it was finally time for the clash of the Mac Titans, Connor McDavid and the Oilers versus Nathan McKinnon and the Avs. Expectations, offensive fireworks show, and that was exactly what we got from these two. First game out of the gates, 8-6 for the Avs, 
But in the next game, the Oils got totally shut down for the second time in the playoffs, and eventually the Avs won this game of cat and mouse between the offensive beasts of each team. Four games was once again all it took, and as I mentioned in the previous episode, Mike Smith was like a sandcastle trying to stop the tide wave, so you can pretty much calculate the outcome from that metaphor. It was McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane and Hyman against the Avs, and to no one's surprise, that was pretty lopsided fight on the large scale. The Oils showcased their biggest weaknesses in this matchup, and the Avs just blatantly used those to their advantage as they strolled their way to the Stanley Cup Finals with the relative ease. The Oils defense cracked from every possible angle and as I said Mike Smith was just a scorekeeper inside their crease in those four games so even though the big guns brought their best to this series it just wasn't enough against a team that had firepower on almost every offensive unit while the Oils offensive depth left lots to hold for as we've now come accustomed to. It's going to be another brutal offseason for the oil country, but we will dwell more into that aspect later on this episode, so we are just going to leave it at that for now. It was almost disappointing to see how easily the Avs were able to bounce the oils out of the playoff race, but you gotta hand it to them for the performance they were able to put up in the last inner conference battle. Francis didn't leak in the absence of Kemper and brought up the possibility of playing him if Kemper for some odd reason started to falter in the series against the Bolts for the Lord Stanley. For now though, they are sticking with Kemper and they were able to take the first game already so strong start is what this team needs against a team that has grown into winning culture and has the pedigree to turn the tide in a moment's notice. So every little inch they can grab is going to be beneficial for them in the seven game series. They have been and still are my favorites to win the cup so no change there whatsoever. Then when it comes to their challenger the path was quite a bit different one where they've had long battles against tough competition. Of course that doesn't mean that the Avs had an easy path to the finals but you get my point. They might have made their process a bit harder than many might have expected, but here they are, so no criticism from this guy. After all, I had them in the finals in my bracket, so that was at least expected in my camp. And according to statistics, the Bolts have had the toughest road to the cup finals in the NHL history when compared to their opponent's point percentages. So after all, they might have not just made it hard for themselves, but they actually have had pretty tough opponents throughout the playoffs. And this roller coaster of emotions for them started in the very first round, where they went all the way to the game 7 against the Leafs, but were eventually able to put the hammer down and clinch the last game of their series with one goal difference. And as usual, Andrei Vasilevsky absolutely shut the door when the season was on the line. So you can bet your house on the fact that if the cup finals go to game 7, the Bolts ain't losing. Or if they are, it's going to be one to nothing. The Bolts looked picked out of whack in that series and I had some doubts early on on their possible success in the postseason, but as we've seen during their last matchups, this team works just like a piston which just doesn't stop moving until the whole thing breaks apart. And by the looks of it, it ain't happening anytime soon, or at least not this year. They have four responsible lines which fulfill their roles on each shift. Three pairs that can shut down the opposition on any given night, possess a brick wall in their crease, and their main guns usually don't take nights off, so that might be one of the reasons why this team just doesn't know how to quit, or as a matter of fact, lose and might explain why they've been able to achieve such success in the past couple of seasons. They are extremely well-built team that doesn't have many glaring holes in their system and proved their postseason prowess against the Young Leafs team which was only one win away from winning the series and might have even thought that they were going through to the quarterfinals from this matchup but no no no. That certainly wasn't the case and once again the Leafs had to settle for participation trophies from this year's Hunger Games. 
The experience is probably their main asset and it doesn't hurt that their GM Julian Brisbois has built a dynasty inside of one of the least expected hockey markets in the continent. But yeah, just as Toronto's toddlers were thinking that mommy was going to come take them out of the crib, the big bad step daddy came in and took away the pacifier. But on the hindsight, I have to give some credit for the Leafs since they put up a good fight against probably the toughest opponent they could get from the East in the first round. And as I mentioned in the playoff preview, this was going to be their battle test and toughest obstacle to date, but as we saw, there are still some experiences that they have to go through before reaching the heights of this franchise in the postseason. And after the first round matchup, it was time for a long-awaited round two of the Battle of the Sunrise State, but against most odds, this battle ended up being one where the other one was shooting pellets out of a BB gun, while the other one was carrying a fully loaded M249 saw, and the aftermath of that duel looked like the one we saw at the end of last month. Four games, 13-3 goal difference for the Bolts. Where was the battle huh president's trophy winners were able to put out this kind of display you say well that is the cold hard fact so we now just have to live with it like i don't get how this even happened because the panthers had the best season of their franchise history healthy lineup not counting mason marchment and a convincing victory from the first round matchup against the caps what exactly went wrong well, we are going to go deeper into that thought later on, so just stick with me. The Bolts just manhandled their state rival and Vasi was starting to heat up after the first round, so this series didn't leave much to speculate about. The Cats underperformed big time while the Bolts kept on pumping and gladly took few days off after a long hard battle against Toronto in the previous round. It was time for the conference finals and quite honestly they didn't have to do any magic tricks to advance because of the piss poor performance from the Florida domestic cats. It was time to face the last challenge before the final push of the season and it was time for the young Rangers squad to show their skills against the master of this dojo. So the conference finals were up next where the apprentice finally met with the master and if the Western Conference Finals featured a duel between two offensive dynamos, in this matchup we witnessed the battle between the two best goaltenders in the entire league. And your argument for Hellebuck is valid, but I'm meaning this year's top two. I digress. So it was time for the Rangers to put down their best assets and prove that they had enough firepower to make their way to the finals against the Avs. And no doubt they put their necks on the line in this matchup, but the inexperience just prevailed in this series and maybe the young core thought that they were already through to the finals after taking a convincing 2-0 series lead after the first two home games, but boy oh boy were they wrong since. Just as the Bolts got their engines going, there was only silver on offer for the Rangers at that point. And the thought of playing in the finals melted to a puddle within seconds. At times it looked like the Bolts were going to force themselves out of the finals since they couldn't stay out of the penalty box. But after the Rangers evened out that aspect and the top guns in Tampa started playing, the Rangers couldn't even get a sniff of the Lightning team on the ice. Vasi turned into a duct tape in their crease. Kucherov lit the fire under their asses. And the rest of the guys asked themselves is this really the point where we make fool of ourselves and to no one's surprise in the remaining four games the bolts only gave up five goals in total on their way to the stanley cup finals and i seriously have to give credit for the rangers for advancing this far in the playoffs since they pretty much were the underdogs for me since the start and i know the pens got bounced in the first round but buddy they had their equipment manager in their crease so Got some slack for God's sake. The Canes were as well supposed to put these guys to sleep, but they just prevailed during the stretches and while I didn't consider them a playoff team before the season started, they really proved that their top two lines, decor and goaltending especially, were strong enough to impress me and show everyone how far their rebuild really was. There are still guys in their pipeline and a few of their most anticipated prospects have showed glimpses of their possible future potential so 
This was their first major step towards contending in the East. But as I said, I questioned their experience throughout the year and to some extent they proved me wrong. But I feel like it was really on display in this series where the Bolts first gave some Sima and then pulled the Matto Alta, so to speak. And if you need some translation, Google Translate works just fine, so give it a go if you will. They were determined to fight for the third cup in a row and that's exactly what they did and didn't leave any doubts when it comes to winner of this series. The Rangers got stonewalled in the end and probably the most underrated aspect has probably been John Cooper's role in the playoffs since he has pretty much figured out every little tendency of the opposing team and once their playbook has been uncovered it's been over at that point and so it was in this series once again. It's going to be an interesting matchup on the coaching front as well in the final since Bednar ain't no slouch either and has won already both the AHL and the ECHL championships so this would be his first real chance of bringing in the final piece of the puzzle when it comes to North American top leagues. Coop is a mastermind on his own and doesn't really get enough recognition in my mind but as Kale Makar stated in his interview brilliantly it's going to be Tampa's possible dynasty versus the Avs future legacy in this matchup. It's most certainly going to be one of the best Stanley Cup series in recent years and this year it really seems as the two top teams are going to battle it out unlike the past two seasons where the Bolts have faced quite mediocre teams to be completely honest. Braden Point made his comeback which is great news for the Bolts while Kemper who was back on the Avs net and Kadri is planning his comeback but we'll see how he's able to perform with almost paralyzed thumb cause I can guarantee you that he won't have plenty of feeling in his thumb if he wants to play, that's for sure. Point also looked like a ghost of his usual self in the first game and certainly is still recovering from his injury so even though I know his work ethic and determination I won't expect miracles from him cause it's clearly visible that he isn't 100% or even 80% to be honest. But nobody wants to miss these games and it will take a jail sentence to keep these guys out of the ice at this point so it's honorable to see these guys putting their bodies on the line for the crown jewel of this league even with the cost of their health and possible further complications. The first game left no one cold and I'll be waking up early to watch the remaining games cause it's going to be worth it. And now that we are back in full motion after a few slump years I don't want to miss any action. But those were the two paths to the finals and I believe that not many can say that this wasn't what they wanted out of the finals since we have star power on all fronts and the outcome is really in the air at this point since the experienced lightning squad will try to fend off the upcoming dynasty from the Rockies or at least that's how I see the matchup. I'm not going to force you into watching and most of you probably already think that I'm out of my mind because I wake up in the middle of the night for hockey but that's what love does to you buddy. You won't regret doing so in two weeks but you will certainly regret the fact that you didn't wake up to watch probably the most anticipated finals in the last 10 years. So you just have to make up your own mind because you know my point of view already so the choice is now yours bud. That's all the praising I have for you today regarding the finals and I hope that this review gave you some sense of how these teams made their way to the finals even if you haven't seen any games during the best time of the year. The two teams are in the finals that I anticipated so now the abs just have to take it home but with my jinxing skills I already doomed their run so I'm just going to shut up until the finals are wrapped up and make my way to the last part of this week's episode where we will go through the seasons of the remaining 14 teams that made the playoffs but got bounced within the past few weeks and do a similar run through to the one we had a couple weeks back for the teams that didn't survive to the postseason. So I'm not going to waste no more time, we will jump straight to the first teams that started their holidays way before the Stanley Cup Finals. First team on the board is going to be the Nashville Predators who were the first team that was swept from this year's playoffs by the Avalanche in the very first round and honestly it was surprising to see them in the postseason this year overall since 
As I had stated in the season preview, to me they lacked many key elements from their lineup and had lots of uncertainties heading into this season. But many players raised their levels in the regular season and career years from Yossi, Duchesne and Forsberg allowed them to grab the last remaining spot from the West. You also don't want to count out Jose Saros' value for the team since without his presence the team wouldn't have reached the playoffs and I can guarantee you that. And it was also great to see some of their young players taking the next steps in their development alongside those cornerstone players. Before the season I had predicted that Philip Forsberg was going to be their number one point getter this season but since Roman Yossi had a monster year point wise that prediction was eventually buried in the same place where the Leafs' Stanley Cup hopes lie. Forsberg finished the year with 84 points in 69 games, while Yossi ran away with the scoring title by putting up astonishing 96 points in 80 games from their blue line. Breakout candidate-wise, my option Phil Tomasino had himself a very comforting first year in the league, as he put up 32 points in 76 games and came close to being the breakout player for the Preds, but I just can't ignore Tanner Janot's rookie season as he surprised many fans with his presence and point total after playing in the ECHL just the year prior. Of course, he was introduced to the league last year with the Preds as he played 15 games for them, but this year he really brought his game to the next level and proved that the team made a wise decision when signing this undrafted power forward to the roster a couple of years back. But the biggest surprise for me though was my preseason hot take becoming true since if you recall my hot take for them this year was that both Duchesne and Johansson were going to bounce back production wise and record plus 50 point seasons while the team made the playoffs and now looking at their numbers that was even an understatement since Johansson was able to break 60 points and Duchesne ended the year as their second best point producer with 86 points in total. And if those numbers seem normal to you, I suggest you take a closer look at the previous season totals and then come tell me that those numbers were expected from these two. When it comes to disappointments, it has to be said that Eli Tolvanen's offensive numbers are still somewhat lackluster related to expectations. He after all earned time on the top six as well, but was only able to put up 23 points in 75 games. The good thing here is that his defensive game took a major step this year and that compensated some of the offensive struggles, but I'm more than sure that the Preds management would like to see better numbers from him offensively since the skills are there to become more than just a greedy two-way forward on their top nine. And while speaking of disappointments, it has to be said that David Riddick's time on the NHL ice might be heading towards its ending since this year he was absolutely abysmal and I wouldn't be surprised if he took the next flight to Europe like Mikko Koskinen did when he signed with Luganokas. The past couple of seasons haven't been favorable for him and I don't see many teams inquiring about his services after a few very underwhelming seasons. But like I said, I didn't expect much from this team before the season started and I had them as the second worst team in the entire division. But their top players ended up delivering and enabled them some postseason action. But they eventually ran into a wall called the Avalanche and their season was over pretty swiftly after all so... I don't know if this counts as a success or a failure for the franchise. They still have lots of unanswered questions when considering their future projection and for the moment their main target for the offseason is to get Forsberg to sign his extension but some other moves could be made since it's quite unclear where this team should be in two years with their current roster. But overall pleasantly surprising year for the Preds. The next two teams that got eliminated were the Minnesota Wild and the Washington Capitals. So first we are going to stick with the Western Conference and then move on to check out the Caps season. So the Wild faced the Blues in the first round and got ditched from the playoffs after six games. And it has to be said that it was a disappointing outcome for the organization, which had one of the best regular seasons of their existence. Kaprizov only improved upon his previous season and the Swiss Jet, Kevin Fiala had himself a career year with 85 points in 82 games 
and exceeded the expectations point-wise. Meanwhile, the supporting cast of Zuccarello, Hartman, Eriksson Ek, Goudreau, Foligno, and their top blue liners Spurgeon, Damba, Goligoski, and Brodeen were tremendous throughout the entire regular season. Especially Freddy Goudreau's point increase was surprising, and he was one of their most reliable two-way assets the entire year. And while we are on the topic, it has to be said that Joel Eriksson Ek is slowly becoming one of the elite two-way centermen of this league. And while his defensive game has become elite-esque, it was great to see his point totals rising as he almost recorded his first 50-point total in the NHL as well. Their netminders were solid this season, but still, they can't wait for their number one goalie prospect Jesper Wasted to grow into his role on the next level since this year once again, that aspect alongside underwhelming center depth and lackluster special teams were probably the biggest reasons why the team didn't find success in the postseason. And of course, once the playoffs started, their special teams inhaled lots of water and started to cough in the most crucial time of the year, but if they want to achieve more than they have to this point, they need to address those two positions in order to gain more traction. But it's easier said than done in this league, as we already know. They have exciting guys coming up from their farm system, Kellen Addison and Marco Rossi on the forefront, so at least I'm excited to see what their approach is going to be for the offseason. Because this roster surely is able to make it to the postseason, but a few pieces are still missing, which prevent them from finding foothold in the later stages of the playoffs. And as you know, this has been their reoccurring problem, so it needs to be addressed accordingly. And while we are in the topic of prospects, as I had anticipated, Matt Boldy took a major step in his development this year, and with fully healthy season, he would have challenged for the Calder, no doubt about it. He missed almost half a season because of injuries but was still able to record 39 points in 47 games and he is one of the players that I'm really looking forward to seeing next season since he looked really poised in the games he played and slotted really nicely in their top six. So a 60 to 70 point season is not out of a question when considering his possible production next year. The Wild are facing a tough challenge this offseason contract-wise since Parisi's and Zuder's buyouts kick in and they would have to ink Fiala to an extension, so there is a chance where one or two players from this year's roster change sceneries and possibly few of their top prospects step into those roles once the next season rolls around. I'm not expecting them to make major changes, but something needs to happen. First of all, if they want to see success in the postseason and second of all, if they want to keep this core intact because the financial challenges are a real factor next year thanks to two major buyouts from last offseason. After the Wild, we switched to Eastern Conference where the first team out of the playoff picture was the Washington Capitals who were beat by the Florida Panthers in six games. Their series was a back and forth scoring battle where the goaltending certainly didn't stand out or if it did, it wasn't that positive. As I said before the season started, the main concern for the team was going to be injuries, and that trend really carried over from the previous year, and for example, Nick Beckstrom missed almost 40 games this year, DJ Oshie only played 44 games in the regular season, and Anthony Mantha was able to dress up in 37 games this year, so you start to understand why this team wasn't at the top of the division once the regular season came to an end. Add to that miserable goaltending performances and you have a recipe for disaster. The usual suspects, Ovi, Kuznetsov and Carlson were at the top of the scoring table and Ovi took the scoring title with 50 goals and 40 assists in 77 games, so no surprise there either. The biggest disappointment for them can be found from their crease as both Vanicek and Samsonov were nowhere near the expectations. And if this team still wants to find success in the playoffs, the goaltending aspect needs to be solved since even though the two-starter technique might benefit you in the regular season, if you can't trust your goaltending in the postseason, you are in deep shit and that is one of the bigger concerns for the team currently. The injuries happen. You can't do anything about that, but the goaltending aspect is their biggest weakness and it needs to be addressed if the team 
isn't eager to start the rebuild yet. My breakout candidate for the year was Connor McMichael, but his contribution ended up being smaller than I had expected. So the expectations only grow for his sophomore season, because certainly he's going to get his chances on their lineup with the way they have accumulated injuries during the past few seasons. Martin Fervari probably took that spot with his performances, and their run is currently starting to near its end, and already next season they might be in danger of missing out on the playoffs if the injuries start to pile up again and goaltending is what it is. So next year, my hot take for this team could be them making the playoffs, but we wait to see what they do in the offseason to prevent that from happening. So big offseason plus regular season coming up for the Capitals. We'll see what they are able to do before they head towards their last push for the Lord Stanley. Rest of the first round matchups all went to 7 games, so we are going to continue on the East and make our way back to the Western Conference before we move to the teams whose season ended in the quarterfinals. So first we have the Boston Bruins, who were very close of reaching the quarterfinals, but just narrowly missed their chance. And just like the previous Capitals team, they are in for an interesting offseason, where their future course will be decided. They are in a similar situation in many ways since their core is turned to age, not as badly as the Caps, but still, and the same problems still haunt them from past seasons. Depth is still in doubt, defense isn't as strong as it is thought to be, and the newest addition to those things is their goaltending since the partnership of Ulmark and Swayman couldn't yet reach the heights that they were probably hoping for. And by saying that, I don't mean that they were not performing this year, since at times they were the reason Boston was even winning games, but once the crunch time arrived, they left somewhat bitter taste in my mouth, especially Ulmark. But if Swayman is able to improve his numbers already next year, that concern should disappear in the process, and even Ulmark could be dealt elsewhere if need be. And although they got fairly solid numbers from their depth options, the lack of consistency was the key factor, that concerned many of their fans, and now that they need to sign Bergeron to his extension, they need to deal away some of their depth options to keep him, so it's going to be a challenging offseason for their management department. Add new head coach into the mix, plus injuries to Marshawn and McAvoy, which will affect them in the early part of the next season as well, and you have quite a pot in your hands when considering the next year's heading. We've also heard rumblings that if the Bees are starting the rebuild this season, Pasta might be heading elsewhere, but when you look at Boston's leadership team, you start to doubt the thought of a rebuild is inbound. Since they are trying to spark something with the coaching change already, and with the way they have to manage their cap situation ahead of the next season, they might try to take the detour before entering a full-on rebuild phase as their stars are still rocking the black and gold and the overall team depth is there to challenge again for a playoff spot. But in order to do so, they have to manage their cap intelligently, work out the situation concerning Marchand's and McAvoy's injuries, and most of all, implement new head coaches' playstyle quickly and effectively, which is easier said than done since the team has been under the control of their previous head coach Bruce Cassidy for many years now. And overall, I didn't really understand the decision behind their coaching change since, to me their biggest problem doesn't lie behind their bench, but more so on the upper management level where the boneheaded decisions have been made. Cassidy has been consistent with his results even though the Bruins haven't been really competing for the cup during the past couple of years but he has at least led the team to the playoffs consistently. And yet again, this seems to be another one of those boys club decisions that we fans can't really wrap our minds around. Overall, once again, very intriguing offseason up ahead and the forward contract should be the first thing out of Boston if you ask me. I questioned this decision already past offseason, and it ended up coming to bite them in the ass, so at least I can't blame myself for thinking that this was somehow a good signing when considering the price tag attached to his services. The management department at least is going to have a short holiday season this year because of their current situation, so best of luck on your journey. 
And to keep the trend going, Pittsburgh Penguins is the next team on the platter. And as you might expect, similar situation for them as well. Core, aging, not a plethora of prospects in the pipeline, and few major questions left to be answered in the offseason. When it comes to this year's performance, there was pretty much nothing to complain about, and just like any other season, the injuries were the biggest thrown in their flesh as Crosby, Rust, Malkin, Blugers, and Zucker missed some time due to injuries, but that is pretty much expected from them at this point. The good thing for them was that Chris Letang had himself a healthy year for the first time in years and thus recorded a career high point total in the process. In addition to that, their goaltending was top-notch this year, not counting the playoffs, and fortunately I can't comment on Jerry's performance in the postseason since he was injured at the end of the regular season and because of that was only able to suit up for the last game of the postseason so it still remains to be seen if he has what it takes to compete on a high level when the games start to matter because currently the track record ain't as strong as it should be. My breakout candidate Pierre Olivier Joseph wasn't able to break into their top six but had himself a very good year in the AHL by putting up 33 points in 61 games plus five points in six postseason games. He should be bound for a job up top next year, but the offseason moves by their GMs will eventually decide his future. So we have to wait and see if their leadership group believes in his talents and believes that he is ready for the NHL action already next year. If not, don't be surprised to see him getting traded in the offseason. Their postseason progress was halted in the first round by the Rangers, mainly because of goaltending issues, where they had to suit up Louis Domingue to their crease while they were missing Brandon Mullin from their back end, Raquel for a few games, and Sid suffered another head injury in result of Jacob Trouba's high hit in their fifth game. In my mind, they would have gone through if they got some decent goaltending, but that's all ifs and buts at this point. They control most of the games, but couldn't get the goaltending they would have needed, and just like that, the Dark Horse Team Rangers went through to the second round. But overall, the major questions for the Pens are going to be the signings of Malkin and Letankus. Currently, they are in a really tough cap situation and both guys are in need of extensions. But in order to do so, it would mean trading players away, which would affect their overall structure, which is fairly well in place in its current state. Their GMs are not afraid to make changes and those are certainly incoming, so keep a close eye on this team in the offseason. Because they certainly won't stay quiet, that's for sure. And the last Eastern Conference team to get eliminated from the first round was the Toronto Maple Leafs, as usual. Seven games was what it took and they fell to the Stanley Cup finalist Tampa Bay Lightning even after leading the series 3-2. This was supposed to be the year when they break the curse and move past the first round but yet again they proved us not to put our monies on the line when they are the ones responsible for the return of our investments. Tampa just decided that the games were over and took the remaining two games with small margins, but that was enough for them to advance to the second round of the playoffs. Most of their big guns performed on a level we expect them to, but goaltending once again proved to be the biggest flaw in their game alongside the inability to close out the tough games in the postseason. It just seems like they can't get out of their heads in the crunch time and even though they put up a good fight against the back-to-back -back champs, the lack of winning culture just oozes from the team and they lack the one gear from their performance to make it to the next round of the playoffs. They are good, but not good enough and as I said even before the playoffs, this could be their biggest learning experience and if processed correctly, it should benefit them greatly even though they got bounced out of the first round this year. I'm kinda lost for words at this point and don't have many points that I would make. Since now the next level seems to be only inches away and they just need to grab it before the chance gets away from them. When it comes to regular season, as I've stated in the season preview, that aspect doesn't count anymore whatsoever. The big boys turned up as they should and one of my two breakout candidates really proved himself this year and that player was Michael Bunning. 
63 points in 79 games is a heck of a total and he slotted nicely to their first line alongside Marner and Matthews. Sandin made his presence known on both ends of the ice and finished the season with 16 points in 51 games so not as much as I was anticipating but not bad total by all accounts either. All in all the team fulfilled the regular season expectations but yet again their journey ended in the first round so some changes need to happen before they make it past that point and make some kind of history in the process. Campbell and Nylander are probably on the hot seat in Toronto so we'll see if they are able to make some room to their cap space and overall I'm not expecting as busy offseason as they had the year prior but few moves are expected to be made before the next season rolls around. How big they will be is a good question so don't take your eyes off of this franchise even during the offseason. And then we head back to Western Conference where the two remaining teams are the Dallas Stars and the Los Angeles Kings. The Stars were the penultimate team to make it to the playoffs from the West but even with that label they were able to put up a real fight against the top team of the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames. And it's gotta be said that the two main reasons why Dallas was able to stay in the battle as long as they did were Jake Ottinger's Superman-like performance and the underwhelming execution by the first seed Flames. The high-flying Flames just forgot how to score in the postseason and I'm not trying to take anything away from Ottinger from this series. The Flames just didn't have the same umph in their offense as they did during the regular season. And quite honestly, the Stars didn't bring much to the table in the wide spectrum. They just grinded out the Flames and scored from the few real chances they were given, plus few presents that Markstrom gave them as well. Like, I watched most of their games, but what I saw from this matchup wasn't anything out of the ordinary related to the regular season hockey, so it usually turned into background noise, as I did something else or watched the Kings vs. Oilers series. Fairly uneventful series overall, but this series already showed the flaws in Calgary's games which eventually forced them out of the playoffs. And by those I mean mainly Markstrom's performance, since their defense was alright during this series, not to mention their next one against the Oils. When it comes to regular season, like I said the Stars just squeezed through to the postseason and veteran Joe Pavelski was able to renew his title as their best offensive contributor. Jason Robertson had a nasty year as I was expecting but he didn't quite reach the top 30 and just missed it by 2 points so not that far away after all. Both Thomas Harley and Ty Delandria dressed for the stars this season but neither of those guys made any major impacts on either front. While Jacob Peterson was able to make his jump to the NHL ice and was able to rack up 17 points in 65 games so not a huge solo by any means, but at least I was impressed by his skills on the next level. I'm not expecting major changes on the roster front in the offseason, but the team probably knows that they are a few steps behind the big teams of the conference when considering their chances of winning the Stanley Cup. I'm interested to see what moves they'll make during the offseason and if their top prospects are able to make their way to the big league after scorching the junior and the minor ranks. And the last team eliminated from the first round was the Los Angeles Kings who were eliminated in the game 7 against the Edmonton Oilers. They put up great fight against the Oilers top offensive units but at the end the top producers just took over and the Kings were not able to match that output and they were ditched from the postseason. Their shutdown ability was on display in this series and their top guns brought it almost each night and their netminder Jonathan Quick kept them afloat at times but this was a promising sign overall for the young King squad. Kopitar was their top producer in the regular season as expected and both offseason additions Deno and Arvidsson ended up being key contributors for them on nightly basis. The big surprises for them this year were Trevor Moore and Zahn Derzy, while you might add Jordan Spence's name to that list as well. Moore recorded 48 points in 81 games and seemingly his strong performance in the world championships last year carried over to this season and his offensive numbers really stood out while playing in their top six. 
Dursey took a major step in his development this year and I was glad to see him finally reaching the potential at least I was expecting since. I loved this game in Owen Sound and thought that he would have gone even earlier during the draft but seemingly his raw defensive game backtracked his projection but I believe that the Kings organization ain't regretting their draft choice one bit. Arthur Kaliev also put up decent numbers in their bottom six and finished the season with 27 points in 80 games and improved his defensive numbers in the process similarly to Nashville's Eli Tolvanen. The biggest letdown for me was Quinton Byfield's rookie season where he was only able to put up 10 points in 40 games and I know that he was battling through an injury the first part of the season but still those are low numbers related to expectations and if he's not able to make an improvement on that front next year, he might be heading elsewhere if the team decides to put their monies on the line within the next two seasons. This team has a bright future ahead of them and as I mentioned in the season preview, this team should be playoff bound again next year and a few new faces could be seen wearing their uniform if all goes to plan. And if the team decides to fast track the rebuild, don't be surprised if one or two big pieces move around the team in the offseason since they certainly have the assets to do so. After all, Kopitar, Quick and Dowdy ain't getting any younger, so if they want another chance at the cup, this might be the moment to do so, so just keep an eye on this team during the summer. And after that we head into the quarterfinal matchups where the first two teams out of the playoff picture were the Florida Panthers and the Calgary Flames. I've already used most of my vocabulary on the Panthers so I don't have much else to say about their playoff performance so we are just going to focus on their regular season this time. You know exactly how I feel about their series against the Bolts so it needs no more addressing. And similar to that, their regular season performance was fairly self-explanatory as well, where no one really underachieved related to expectations, and more so, many guys exceeded them, so I don't have much to say about that either. Huberto had a career year with 115 points in 80 games, and was their top scorer by a mile. And mind you, Alexander Barkov missed 15 games during the regular season, so that might be one reason why there was such a gap in points between these two. And of course, I have to mention that the guy who recorded 115 points during the regular season only racked up 5 in 10 postseason games, so you just do the calculations. Spencer Knight was able to prove his potential upside by recording 0.908 save percentage and 2.79 goals against average in 32 games this year. My boy Eetu Luostarinen recorded career-high numbers with 26 points in 78 games. Meanwhile, Anton Lundell had himself a tremendous rookie season and thus forced my hot take into existence by being the fifth best scorer amongst this year's rookie class, so thanks for that, bud. I mean, I feel like I've addressed all my emotions about their situation and I don't have the energy to bitch about their postseason performance anymore. Please just make sure to take notes from this year and this experience and start focusing on next year's postseason because you might play yourself if you won't look in the mirror and learn from this experience since it was an embarrassing outcome. Peace and much love, cats. Next, it was St. Louis's time to enter the beaches as they fell to the finalist Colorado Avalanche in six games. And we pretty much covered this matchup already, so once again we are going to focus on the regular season performance. Similar to Panthers, they didn't have major letdowns, and vice versa, a few players exceeded once again some expectations. And to that group belong players such as Vladimir Tarasenko, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Ivan Barbashev, and Justin Falk, who all recorded tremendous point totals. Meanwhile, Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron left few points on the table which though were compensated by the others mentioned earlier. Ville Husso really kept them afloat in the absence of Binnington in the regular season, but once the postseason rolled around, the roles reversed, and Bin Nasty was once again their main starter, as long as he stayed healthy. 
Cairo didn't quite reach Tarasenko's point totals as I was expecting in the preseason preview, but it has to be said that Tarasenko's comeback really surprised many people and more than that, the fact that he was able to stay healthy for almost the entire regular season. And even more surprising was to see Robert Thomas in the second spot in their scoring table with 77 points in 72 games. And just like Nico Mikkola said to me before our interview when we were discussing their roster, I quote, People might not even realize how good this guy really is and what his ceiling could end up being, end quote. And I can fully confirm that since he's slowly becoming one of the most underrated players in the league. Besides him, Scott Perunovic played both regular season and postseason games and looked like a mainstay for them for the upcoming season, so... The Blues on all fronts look good when heading to the offseason. No major changes are expected to happen. One question mark is Tarasenko's situation within the organization. But other than that, it seems as they will roll with the same core to the next season and hope that their main guns stay healthy and can improve even more on the offensive side of the puck before the crunch time arrives to St. Louis. The last team bounce from the quarterfinals was the Carolina Hurricanes who went 7 games with the underdog team New York Rangers. As I stated in the previous episode, this series was pretty much a battle between the Hurricanes and Igor Shesterkin. Since the games were very tight where the home team took the first 6 games each time until the Rangers broke that streak and won the game 7 to the 6. This was one of the more disappointing losses for the Canes since they were expected to face the Bolts in the conference finals, but just like in the Dallas Flames series, they just couldn't find enough offense when they needed to, and thus the Rangers punished them with their lethal power play. And although the Rangers power play was lethal throughout the playoffs, it has to be said that the Canes penalty kill was just god-awful, but... Now it's time to reevaluate your progress and see which players will be returning next year since the cap situation in Carolina is pretty tight so one or two names could be headed elsewhere if they want to keep their core intact otherwise. When it comes to my preseason hot take and breakout candidate prediction, both were teed down as Seth Jarvis became their breakout player by notching 40 points in 68 games. And Tony D'Angelo didn't cause any altercations and returned back to his plus 50-point level in just 64 games. So a small pat on the back for myself is in place for those two. But as I said, a few moves could be expected out of Carolina. While they have to work out few major extensions and the names I could be seeing changing zip codes could be Martin Najes and Vincent Trocek alongside Ethan Bear, but... When it comes to their goaltending tandem, your guess is as good as mine, so we will just leave those for the real offseason for now. So all in all, tough year for the Canes, and that continues to the offseason, so we'll see what the outcome is going to be once the next season comes about. And then we arrive to the last part of this episode, where we meet the two sore losers who got so close to the finals, but who were eventually kicked out of the playoffs by the two finalists and those two teams are the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Rangers. We've pretty much covered both of these teams when it comes to their last stop in the postseason but we will quickly go through their process and check the regular season performance as well. When it comes to Oilers story, well the usual suspects did their thing, no surprise there and they cruised their way to the playoffs without too much drama involved. First round, they finished off the Kings in 7 games, then battered the Flames in 5 and eventually fell to the Avs in just 4 quick games. And that was it. I have to give credit for this team since I was expecting them to take an L against the Flames in the quarters, but the postseason Flames turned on the Jets and dropped to their knees and started to put their hair on a ponytail in front of Mac Batman and Robin. So they quite easily unarmed their province rival and advanced to the conference finals, which was an achievement at least in my books, when looking back at their previous postseason success. The Avs though were just too much and they overrun the older squad and you just have to admit once again that their depth wasn't enough for the postseason action. 
and while your top players, meaning Drysaddle and Nurse, are fighting through injuries, you can't expect anything spectacular from them, because you know they are putting all on the line at this stage of the season. Evander Kane's game misconduct was just awful, and I believe that their leadership crew wasn't too happy about it when the team is trying to fight against the juggernaut of the conference. It was a brainless play, and I wouldn't have been surprised if he got sussied more than that, but that's up to player safety department, so I'm not going to further comment on that aspect. Mike Smith showcased his talents on nightly basis, which means stop the ice from melting on other nights and other nights let in shots from the other end, so nothing has changed there either. And if he decides to hang up the skates, the Oils are going to have to find a totally new partnership in goal, since Koskinen already left the city in a hurry, so it might be another interesting offseason for this franchise. My breakout candidate Ivan Bouchard was everything that I expected before the season, and he ended the year with tremendous total of 43 points in 81 games, and now they have the right-handed blue liner for years to come. The bigger disappointments on the roster were Jesse Pugliarvi and Darnell Nurse. And before you start to shout at me, let me explain just why. I know that Puglia was undoubtedly one of their best defensive forwards this season, there's no denying that, but 36 points just isn't going to cut it when every other player that played the same role put up better numbers offensively alongside either McDavid or Dreisaitl or even Ryan Nugent Hopkins, so find me the explanation, please. Same thing goes with Nurse, and I'm aware of the fact that he didn't get much time on the power play because Bouchard was their number one point guy, and Tyson Berry manned the second power play unit, but as a minute munching D-man playing behind the two best point producers in the league, that's a low total, just plain and simple. I just wanted to point out these two since at least my expectations are way higher than what they were able to bring this year. And I don't hate these guys by any means and I want to make that extremely clear. But other than that, defense and goaltending were the weak points of this team once again. And as a last quote, I just have to say that even though Duncan Keith was able to rack up 21 points in 64 games, with plus 15 in his plus minus column. That guy is just starting to be a real liability defensively. And if you don't believe me, just go and see how many times players get a rings around the guy in the postseason. He brings his veteran leadership to the table, but other than that, I don't see much use for him, especially with that cap hit. Another exciting offseason coming up, so expect to see some changes once the weather starts to warm up even more, hopefully. And then we arrive to the last team of this episode, which is going to be the New York Rangers, who got manhandled in the Eastern Finals by the back-to-back champs, and we pretty much covered their journey earlier this episode, so let's jump straight to the regular season. And for starters, it has to be said that I couldn't have been more wrong when I told you. And I quote, Jiba, Banarin, Kreider, Strom, Fox and Sheshterkin can drag the team to the playoffs by themselves. Since that was absolutely what just happened. Those guys were responsible for their success while some of their top young guns started to show some glimpses of hope for their future projection. But on that same note, it has to be said that Kaapo Kakko just needs to improve plain and simple. And I know he battled with injuries this season, but still 18 points in 43 games. Not good enough. And add to that, only 5 in 19 playoff games. You hopefully start to get where I'm coming from. He has serious talent. NHL ready frame, but the production is just lacking way behind and I'm more than sure that if that aspect doesn't change, he will be dealt elsewhere while he still has some value on the trade market. He needs to find his confidence and start to play more aggressively offensively since in that league you don't get anything for free and currently it's not up to his effort level 
but more so believing in his skills and making the right plays. I still won't question his upside since I know it's there, but something just needs to click in his brain to get that nerve cramp to loosen up in order for him to release his offensive demon that certainly is present in his body. But that's all I have to say about that. Braden Schneider and Keandre Miller took major steps on their paths and otherwise the team is selling smoothly, so only great things can be expected from this team in the future. They could be the next powerhouse on the East if all goes well and overall very successful season for them on all counts. No major disappointments besides Kakko and maybe Barclay Goodrow, but a bigger involvement is needed overall from their young guns already next year. But that will wrap up the episode. Just as the last notes, I need to address the coaching carousel around the league as Bruce Cassidy became the new head coach of the Golden Knights. Meanwhile, the Flyers continued their boys club games as they hired the old fart John Tortorella behind their bench. And I gotta say, even though this seems like a total disaster waiting to happen, it might also have a very positive impact on the team since they found the bottom already, so it can't get any worse than this, right? Am I right? Well, whatever the outcome is going to be, expect to see a different squad from Philly next season than what it's been the previous two seasons. Now I'm done with all the necessary news and this episode became longer than I first expected, but I really do hope that you appreciate the effort. Thank you so much for listening. I'm pretty torn at this point. I can't lie to you. So I hope that you enjoyed this week's coverage on the NHL front. Leave a rating for the podcast if you haven't done that already. Go check out the podcast page on IG at the drop underscore pass and press the follow button so that you don't miss any new uploads as they come out. Or just stop by next Sunday to find out what the next week's topic is going to be. I don't have much else to say. I'm glad you stopped by and I hope to see you next week. And as always... Stay tuned, stay safe, until next time, alright.